Hello and welcome to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, Parenting SOS. Now, the word divorce could conjure up images of warring couples ringing up their rival lawyers who then sit across each other at the table and play hardball about every single penny. Well, the truth is, divorce can get ugly, but it doesn't always have to be. Today, I'm joined by Samantha Woodham. Samantha has practised family law as a barrister for over 15 years, advising couples as to the finances and arrangements for their children on family breakdowns. She is recognised in the Legal 500, Chambers of Partners, Spears and Tatler HNW Guide. Along with fellow barrister Harry Gates, she co-founded the Divorce Surgery, the first service in the UK to provide joint family law advice to couples together. Samantha, it's such a refreshing way of looking at a family breakup. Yeah, I know. The thing is, when you break it down, it's really intuitive and normal. It's just the way that we've approached divorce for such a long time, because of, I don't know, Henry VIII, is not normal. You know, we have a situation where in in England and Wales, you know, 42% of marriages end in divorce. It's a really normal life transition. But the way that we deal with it in a kind of adversarial process that we put over the top of it is anything but normal. And I think if you had a blank sheet of paper causing couples at the moment, they're most emotional, they're deciding their relationship to end, putting them in separate camps, giving them separate legal advice, and then creating a scenario where they think that there's winners and losers when there never are, is just the wrong way to approach it. But yeah, no, divorce is normal. It's just the way that we treat it that hasn't been for quite a long time. But what made you start approaching it in the way that you have? Was there a catalyst of, you know, being that stereotypical scene of, you know, lawyers across from each other and kind of going, it doesn't have to be this way? Yeah, so, I mean, I was in private practice for a long time, always acting for one side or the other because that's how I was instructed. I wasn't ever a kind of Rottweiler barrister because, I mean, you can't change your personality, you know. (laughs) And so I'd always fundamentally be trying to get people to reach a settlement. But that you kind of got your hand tied behind your back when you're always only talking to one side. But that was the way it was. And then about six or seven years ago now, what happened, the event, was that I got approached by a couple and together. And they said, we'd like to instruct you, Samantha, together so that, you know, we can tell you what our finances are. There's no big secrets. We can give you a spreadsheet of what we've got. We just want to know how a court would approach this, what's a fair financial division, and what's normal when it comes to arrangements for children of separating couples. And I thought I couldn't because the conflict rules that apply to barristers, the Bar Stands Board regulates barristers and the Solicitors Regulatory Authority regulates solicitors, said that you can't have a conflict of interest. So I was fascinated, but I thought, oh, you know, I can't do it. I then went off on maternity leave, actually, with my second child. And amongst the massive insomnia that that prompted, (laughs) um, I thought, I'm going to look into this a bit more. And I read up on it, contacted the Bar Standards Board and realised that barristers could give advice to couples together, but solicitors couldn't. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I've just got to do this. So that's when the business started. And that was back in 2018 that we kind of got going. It took a year to get regulated and then we first saw couples in 2018. But it's had this massive snowball effect. So what's happened since is that Couples really want it. And so this year now, the Solicitors Regulatory Authority has confirmed that solicitors can do it too. And so there's going to be a really big uptake in this work because more people can do it. And But it's coming all from 
client demand. What I think is fascinating and really positive about it is that it's not me or Harry or other barristers or judges saying, don't come to court, because they say that all the time. Mm. It's actually couples have said, we don't want this. We want something better, more amicable, more constructive. And that's where the business came from. I know that it was pretty mocked at the time, but people like Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin saying that they were consciously uncoupling. Do you think things like that actually will have had an impact on people going, oh, hold on, there doesn't have to be size. We don't have to be warring. We can make this work in another way. Massively. I think that the words consciously uncoupling are kind of marmite mm -hmm. and we'll get some people coming to us who really want that and some people who say, oh my God, you're not conscious <laughs> uncoupling people, are you? <laughs> and, um, but actually, what I mean, what is conscious uncoupling? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, my view is just extricating yourself from an intimate relationship with dignity and kindness. Yeah. You know, it's getting to a fair outcome for everyone. But yes, I think as with many things with Gwyneth Paltrow, she herself can be quite marmite with people, can't yeah. she? But she's often ahead of her time, I think. Mm -hmm. And what we're getting more and more now is, you know, and it's one of the things that we'll advise on with couples sometimes is how they approach those kind of statements to the press or the narrative they give friends. And increasingly now what you're seeing is more recently, I think Giselle did a statement like this. Mm -hmm. We saw it with Tom Brady, but we've had a really successful marriage and we're really proud of it. And we love our children and we're going to keep co-parenting. But that marital relationship side has come to an end. And it's time for us to move on and that's okay. And we're going to support each other leading our separate lives. Do you think that's important even, you know, obviously they are celebrities, but even for people within their own families and their friends, because, you know, you're almost taking control of the situation because otherwise you would get so many different voices going, well, he's done that, he's done that, you know, you should be doing this. And actually by almost having that joint statement and that joint approach, you're taking leadership on that. Totally. I mean, I'm just a lawyer, you know. So when I started this up, I just thought, oh, you know, Harry and I are going to be helping people get legal advice together. But actually, you realise when you see the number of couples we've had coming through, what it does is it gives them this really brilliant narrative for their friends and their family and the school gates. And it's basically saying, we're not taking sides. We're sharing a lawyer. So you guys, please don't pick sides mm -hmm. either. It's not going to be that kind of process. And then immediately it diffuses everything because you're not thinking, oh my goodness, I have to choose which one I'm going to be friends with. You're not inquiring into the very intimate details of why this relationship ended. It's nobody's business. And it's yeah. irrelevant, actually. The only thing people need to know is we're working through this. This is a life change. We'd love your support in terms of emotional help. And yeah, take me out for a few cocktails and let's have a cup of tea. But let's not spend our time bashing the ex because that's not helping me recover. And if you've got children together, it's really not helping them. Isn't that a massive change in divorce now as well? That there doesn't have to be a blame or necessarily a big old reason for the divorce? Yes. So in April this year, legislation was implemented and lawyers have been campaigning about it, family lawyers, for 30 years. That now means that when you start the divorce process, what you used to have to do was give a reason. If you hadn't been separated for two years or more, which many people haven't when they come to divorce, mm -hmm. one of you had to petition for the divorce. And in that, you'd have to say why the other person's behaviour was such that it was unreasonable for you to continue being married to them. I mean, 
it was an awful start. Yeah. Actually, the reasons are completely irrelevant to the rest of the proceedings. A judge doesn't care what the reasons are. And does that go back just like hundreds of years, like Henry yes. VIII style? Okay. Yes. So it's, it's archaic. Yeah. But what happened from April now is that couples don't have to, well, you can't give any reasons for the divorce. You just say, our marriage is broken down. And you can petition or make the application now together, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's completely taking away this idea that one person is launching court proceedings against the other. It's simply saying, you know, we are applying together, recognising the fact that we've both reached the decision that we want to get divorced. And what we saw, again, which shows the public appetite for this, is that loads and loads of couples that we had, but also the court statistics show this, were waiting. So they knew that they wanted to split up maybe in November last year, but they thought we're going to wait for April. And then the legislation comes through and they make the application together rather than going down the old process of having to attribute blame. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's always the way the law's catching up, but it's slow. I think what we've seen more and more of as well, which is really important, is the way that the press report on divorce. So, you know, when you used to read about divorce, it would either be the kind of horror story divorces, mm -hmm. you know, that go to court and they're warring and you see pictures of lawyers in designer clothes courts. walking up to yeah. the Royal Courts of Justice, right? Yeah. Or you get articles on how to save your marriage, which <laughs> is really unhelpful if you've reached the, you know, difficult soul-searching decision that actually this relationship, which was once bringing you both joy, is making you both miserable. Yeah. The last thing you want is for that to be overlaid with this idea of kind of stigma about divorce that no you should be trying harder you should be sticking in this deeply miserable marriage so I think there's more and more media portrayal of amicable divorce of mm -hmm. actually getting divorced is better than being in a deeply unhappy marriage and that's reflecting the way that we all view divorce actually so that's really helpful too yeah I mean it's worrying though isn't it the media have such control over that narrative as well totally and you know it's still really hard to get people to talk about divorce you know I find myself even you know it's fantastic talking to you but you know there'll be lots of podcasters and stuff who just think oh no we don't want a kind of negative topic like divorce and you think but divorce happens to so many people and what we need to do is you know encourage people to know that it doesn't have to be the worst thing that's ever happened to them there are ways to do it that are decent and fair and it's a transition you know we go through lots of transitions in our lives we change jobs you know we move countries so we need to deal with this transition in a sort of fair and objective way and, and take out the sting yeah I'm actually very very lucky my mum and dad got divorced when I was it started when I was 16 they separated but actually they've got such a good relationship now you know we spend Christmas together we're about to go on holiday together you know dad's partners are part of our lives and that made it sound like dad has loads of partners dad's partner is a part of our lives um, and yeah, <laughs> it's not gone unnoticed for me and my siblings that that is largely due to their approach in it you know it's them mm. kind of going we created this family and actually we have to keep that respect between each other if we want to make the lives for our children one that is still full of love and doesn't come down to our relationship breaking down yeah, it's the happy mum, happy baby thing. You know, the happy parents, happy children. It's about thinking, you know, people have this kind of ingrained view and whenever, you know, we meet clients at the earlier stage, just saying to them, divorce isn't bad for children. Yeah. All the research shows 
is that what's bad for children, what causes children long-term emotional harm, is witnessing prolonged and entrenched conflict between their parents. Now, that can absolutely happen in a bad divorce, but that can also happen in a bad marriage. Yeah. And if you're in a relationship where you're both deeply unhappy and you're arguing all the time, don't kid yourself that you should stay in the marriage for the sake of the children. You know, actually, what your children need is for you both to thrive and to be happy and to also model for them how to navigate when, you know, relationships don't work because they mm. may well be in that situation themselves when they grow up and they want to see how to do it. And these blended families can be this extraordinary source of richness and happiness and joy and what you said about your Christmases. Mm. And it's just this presumption that people have that are kind of... I mean, 60 years of marriage, I think you still get a telegram. Do you? Know, you? From the, well, now the king. Yes, I think <laughs> wow, you do. I didn't know exactly that was to. <laughs> But what, what's that saying yeah. about, you know, and that's not to say being married to, for 60 years isn't fab. It is, if you were happy. <laughs> but if for 40 years of that, you were deeply miserable and you were just staying in there because you were scared of change and scared of divorce. And that's the thing. I think divorce should be given far more respect. Like I fully respect my parents for saying this isn't working. We will be happier apart. You know, I fully respect them for that. And I think there is still so much shame surrounding divorce that shouldn't necessarily be there. Yeah, I agree. There's so much stigma and there's so much assumption that, you know, a long marriage is therefore better, like you've had a better life. Like if you're divorced, your married friends are having a better life. No, I mean, if you break this down to kind of its basics, you're in a relationship, you can have a super successful relationship for 10 years and then it has a shelf life. We know that human beings, we change as we get older. Yeah. You know, we become different people. You grow apart. And in 1900, the average lifespan was 50 years. The average lifespan now is over 80. You know, <laughs> it's a long time to be married your whole life. And acceptance that actually, God, that was amazing. We had a great time, but it's had a shelf life. You're then freeing yourselves for more adventures, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, that your long-term married friends aren't going to have. And I am completely apathetic. I don't have a view about marriage or divorce. All I don't want to happen is that people stay in unhappy marriages because they're scared of divorce or because they're scared of the process of getting divorced, mm -hmm. which I think family lawyers, you know, we've got to take responsibility for that and make sure that the process of divorce is kind and serves the needs of the people going through it. Yeah. Now, on Parenting SOS, I ask you the three questions that you are most asked, and I have them. And your first one is, what's the biggest mistake you can make on divorce? The biggest mistake is to treat it as a battle, is to start off in the wrong mindset. Because if you start in the mindset of, I need to be strategic and tactical, what do I want to achieve for me? You know, what are my needs? Then the way that you behave will cause the other person to do the same. Mm. So you'll take early stage hostile steps. And there may be situations I should flag where, you know, safety's at risk or you've got somebody who is, you know, hiding assets. I mean, they're rare cases, but they happen when you need to take preemptive legal steps and you need to get early legal advice. But for the vast majority of couples, actually, where you should be starting from is, you know what, this was our marriage and it's our divorce. And we need to start from a place where we work through it together. 
Now, how is a family judge going to look at this? And a family judge is going to look at it and think, I need to create a scenario which is fair to both of them and to their children. Mm. You know, I need them both to be well looked after. They're never going to prioritize one over the other. So if you start in the mindset of this is a shared problem to navigate together, rather than this is a battle, Mm -hmm. you'll be starting from the exact right space. And then you'll start to think about it in a really transparent way and a really constructive way. Because you'll be thinking, well, you know, the first thing we need to do is work out how we're going to talk to the children if you've got children about this. Do we need help with that, with the narrative that we're going to give? We need to agree what we're saying. We need to, you know, be the grown-ups in the room when it comes to those sorts of conversations. The next thing we need to think about is money. The thing that keeps people up at night is anxiety about their children and finances. Mm. And thinking, how am I going to live after divorce can be something that really causes people to go into that fight or flight mode. So sit down together and work out what have we got? Let's do a spreadsheet, see everything that's come, you know, what income we got coming in each month, you know, how much is the house worth, all of these things. How much have we got to create two separate households now out of the pot? Mm -hmm. Um, And do we need some help with that? Maybe that you want to get some legal advice on the finances, that maybe you want to get some co-parenting help on the children's side. It may be that one of you is struggling more and wants some emotional support from a divorce coach or from, you know, a a separation counsellor. But if you talk about it openly and then you can support each other through it, that's how you should be doing it. You know, if you, you chose to get married, and I feel that when couples get married, they're often asked, you know, how are you going to manage your finances? And are you agreed on whether you want children or not? What's your view on religion? But I think they should also be asked, you know, well, will you agree that if this relationship doesn't work out forever, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, that when it comes to an end, you'll do that with dignity and with respect to each other? Because essentially, that's signing off the marriage in the way that you signed on, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Your second most asked question, isn't divorce bad for children? Oh, God, this is just... No, divorce (laughs) is not bad for children. Divorce is not the gremlin in the room that's going to immediately ruin the childhood of your children. You remain parents 100% of the time, whether you're married or divorced. So don't get into a mindset, which some people can quite quickly, of becoming 
really obsessed with the percentage of time that the mm -hmm. children spend with each of them. You don't think about that during a marriage. You know, when you go out for work, when the children are at school, you don't stop being parents. It's exactly the same on divorce. You know, your co-parent remains the biggest source of support for you when it comes to parenting. It provided it's safe. So I often say to people, you know, you think about that 3 a.m., one of your children's got a fever. You've got the other two at home. You're thinking, do I do the A&E run? What am I going to do with the other two? Who's the person you call? You want that person, if it can be, to be your co-parent, right? Yeah. Who you know, unless you're very unlucky, will drop everything to be there and will get it immediately. We'll get that sense of panic at three in the morning. And so don't throw that out. Don't risk that unless you have to. And know that... All the research shows it's not divorce that's bad for children, it's the way it's managed, so it's conflict. And that can come with staying in an unhappy relationship as much as it can from dealing with divorce in, in a really negative way. Any relationship breakup is hard. It pulls on our emotion, makes you question lots of choices that you've made. So recognise that and be kind to yourself. And if you find that actually, this is really overwhelming and I'm not coping with this, get some emotional support. There are amazing people out there, not lawyers, emotional counsellors and divorce coaches who can support you. Because quite often what happens on a divorce is that you'll have two people who are at different emotional stages. So you'll have one person who's maybe been thinking about it for a much longer period of time and has kind of come to the conclusion that this is the right thing but the other one might be blindsided by it mm. and might have recognised things weren't great but not seen this coming. And so you've got to move at the pace of the person who's finding it the hardest. And if they need additional emotional support to get to that process of thinking, OK, I'm feeling rational about this now, I'm ready to talk about finances or I'm ready to think about having those conversations with the children, you've got to wait till you're both ready. But don't think that it's divorce that's bad for children. It's just the way it's approached that can be bad. Yeah. And your final question that you're most asked is, aren't you too friendly to be a divorce barrister? Yes. <laughs> you're very friendly, very approachable. I get this from journalists a lot, actually. They're like, oh, you're not at all what we expected. <laughs> People often say, God, you smile a lot for a divorce. <laughs> I'm still a human being. <laughs> so what does your little blurb say next to your name? Well, actually, mine, happily, because I bang on about it so much, I think it says things like kind and empathetic and, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. But it's still unusual for them yeah. to say that. And actually, you know, nearly all the family lawyers I know are kind and empathetic. I mean, why do you go into family law? Because you want to help people. You like people. But it's just that that's not... The focus has been... You know, and it's the same as sort of when you're looking at how barristers progress up the ranks and, you know, the most senior barristers become now king's counsel silks. But when you look at the application for process for that, what they're looking at are your 12 biggest cases that have fought in court. Why are they looking at that? You know, wow. why aren't they looking at your 12 biggest cases that you settled? Mm -hmm. You know, you never went anywhere near the courts because that's what couples want. They don't want to be the name on a reported case. They don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah, that's quite the conflict of someone's approach to a case. You know, I want this to yeah. get into there so I can win this. And, you know, it's that whole armouring up thing. It's people feeling like they need to get what they're owed, that they're not screwed over. And actually, all of that is just unhelpful. Yeah, totally unhelpful. When it comes to family law, there are very clear case law 
about which is applied to cases and there's lots of discretionary factors you know like it's very rare to be 50 50 for instance because you'll have people who've inherited money you'll have people who've got bigger mortgage capacities than Mm -hmm. the other different earnings all of these things need to be taken into account but fundamentally there will be a bracket of fairness there that you can identify at a very early stage once you know what the finances are or you can tell people very early on what's normal when it comes to child arrangements from the court's perspective And so this idea of kind of fighting to get the best outcome, all you're doing is spending money on lawyers. Because ultimately you're going to end up either reaching an agreement, which is less and less likely if you're tearing chunks out of each other, or a judge imposing a fair outcome on you both. (laughs) So why don't you just start with looking for the fair outcome? Mm -hmm. And it's so obvious. It's what most people want to do. And it's just enabling them to do that. You know, that's what we need to be doing in the legal process. We need to be meeting the needs of our customers. And that's different. You know, that is obviously very different in a family law context than in commercial law. You know, because in a family law context, you've got a family coming in and you've got a family on the other side. Maintaining those relationships is, I think, a core duty of a family lawyer is doing no harm. To those yeah. relationships. So, you know, it's very different than if you have, I don't know, Vodafone suing Apple. They're not going to be friends or family at the end of it. It doesn't no. really matter. Yeah, it's a very different approach. And it's not one that necessarily fits so well with the let's fight in court and, and talk about our cases that are fought. We should be talking about the cases that settle. Absolutely. We've asked the Have and Have Baby community to send in some questions about divorce. Now, some of these are more emotional-led. I'd love you to answer where you feel appropriate. One question is, what questions should divorced parents consider before creating a co-parent agreement? Parenting plans are really good, actually, and really common. And you can do them on your own. You can download them online if you just Google parenting plan. Are there formats that you can... Yeah, yeah okay. there are formats. So CAFCAS, the court service, produces one that you can download for free. You can also do them with the help of, you know, co-parenting experts. If you've got that, you could do one with a lawyer if you wanted to. But fundamentally, it's about looking to the longer term and thinking... On the big scale, what are the values we share about our children? And then also the micro stuff. So I guess what I'd say in answer to your listener is the parenting plan itself, the default one, will give you lots and lots of things to think about. But I would start with the big picture stuff. What you think about, I don't know, long-term religion and schooling and the kind of childhood experience you want your children to have. And then you get on to the more detail stuff which actually is crucial because if you're going to fall out about stuff it's about the detail so it's about thinking okay you know not how many nights with each think more strategically how do we manage the logistics of the next year of childhood right so whether you were in a marriage or not in a marriage you've both got different commitments working commitments your children have got various clubs after school you know How does it work for each of us to do the particular days of the week? Is there a way we can break it up between us that makes most sense for us and for the children? Are there specific tasks that we can delegate between us so we're not constantly having to check with each other if something's been done? So, for instance, you know, can one parent take charge of particular homework subjects and the other parent take charge of other particular homework subjects? Can you, one that I love to recommend because it's a bane of my life, (laughs) is can you share school communications? So can we do a week on, week off, where for 
one week, you know, one parent does all the school comms and then summarises anything the other parent needs to know and then vice versa the next week. What are we doing about school events? You know, making sure we're both on the kind of list for all the school communications. What are we doing about Christmas? I mean, there's the big questions about Christmas Day and whether you alternate mm-hmm. that or divide up the day and how that works with logistics. But actually, again, it's the small stuff. How are we dealing with the list for Santa? Which presents are we getting from the two of us? Or are we doing individual ones? Are we making sure we've talked about that before we do it? Mother's Day and Father's Day, making sure that you get the kids to get stuff for Mother's Day and Father's Day, because that's really important. It sends a really important message to the children too. Having maybe one day a month when you have a coffee together and catch up on the children and talk about that. Thinking about um, holidays. Sorry, I could go on forever, but, you know, holidays, a really good one is... In August each year, when you've got the school timetable, if you've got school-aged children, sit down together and think, right, how are we doing the holidays? Some parents follow formula, so they know, but some parents don't. But you want to know, okay, when you're having the children over the holidays, so you can book stuff. And then you can start talking to the children about it and get excited about it. So, yeah, I mean, the CAVCAS default precedent parenting plan is a great place to start. But those are some of the things that, yeah, I often talk to people about. It's absolutely incredible. I always think to get to the point of divorce, there's got to be also a breakdown of communication. And I think it's so easy when kids are in the mix to have a build-up of resentment as well. Of, you know, why am I doing everything? But actually, the way that you're talking about divorce and co-parenting, it's all about communication. It is. And it's about, again, recognising that there is the real possibility here, and for many parents this happens, of being a better parent on the other side, being a happier person, having that fair division of childcare and responsibility that maybe didn't exist during the marriage, but can exist now. You know, if you alternate weekends, for some that can be really difficult at the beginning, thinking about a weekend without the children, but then actually, over time, a few months later, you talk to them and they're like, this is absolutely incredible because the weekend I'm with the children, I'm completely present with them. I'm loving it. We're making plans because I know that next weekend I've got headspace. I can get my admin done. I can go out, you mm-hmm. know, without having to get a babysitter. And, you know, there can be so many positives on the other side. And again, it's all about mindset and how you approach it. But it is a really good opportunity to redefine your co-parenting relationship and those things that caused resentment in the past to change them. Yeah, absolutely. Another question is, how do you explain mummy and daddy aren't together anymore? I would imagine it's one that's really built up. I don't remember the conversation with my mum and dad about their divorce and I was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I mean, that's where you want to get to. You want to get to a point where it's not this cataclysmic event. I mean, this is where I have to obviously say I'm a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And it's really important when, if you're worried about that or if you feel that your children, particularly with slightly older children, that they're not going to react well to get... There are some great co-parenting experts out there who can help, can also bring your children into the conversation if that's what you want to with them there and can help you through it. I mean, in terms of... So I've got two children who are nine and six and they obviously know what mummy does. And um, hilariously, so Harry and I wrote a book about divorce and my six-year-old took it in for show and tell (laughs) because he was really proud of mummy's book, the divorce surgery. But um, I mean, in terms of what I say to them, I don't know if that's remotely helpful, but what I say is, you know, that's just when a mummy and daddy decide that they still want to be a family, but they just want to live in separate homes. 
because that is what it is. Yeah. You are still a family and you still love your children a million percent. It's just that that intimate personal relationship between the two adults isn't working anymore. As children get older, you need different narrative. Children are very astute and they will know when things aren't working well and when you're arguing or, or like you say, when it's just really frosty. Mm -hmm. They're not impervious to that, they pick up on it. So being open and more and more actually what the family courts are saying is that we need to ensure that children's wishes and feelings are really understood, that they feel part of the process. And there's an amazing organisation called the Family Youth and Justice Board, which has been set up by children who have been through court processes. And then, you know, teenagers and in their early 20s are now trying to influence policy based on their experiences. And there are sort of 25 statements that they've little quotes from them that we actually ended up putting in our book. But they just, they're so powerful because it says things like, just because you don't want to talk about mummy anymore or talk about daddy anymore doesn't mean I don't want to. Yeah. Or don't stop me getting help. You know, I love you both in different ways and you can help me in different ways. And, you know, we all know this, that, you know, parenting, my goodness, it keeps you on your toes. You know, the needs of your children are constantly changing. So, you know, don't deprive yourself of that second pair of hands yeah. unless it's not safe because you're going to need them and it's tough. Parenting's tough. So keep all the help that you can get. I think those conversations with children are tricky, but yeah. you can get them, absolutely get them right, get some help, but also try and approach them together. Mm. One person's asked about information on mediation. Is that something that, yeah, you're nodding. <laughs> They're just yeah, saying how exactly. do they even get information on it? Family Mediators Association, the FMA, will have lots of information about mediation. Also, the gov.uk website will have information about mediation. The role of a mediator, and there is a mediation voucher scheme that the government's running, so you can get £500 towards mediation. And mediation can be brilliant in trying to get you both into a room with an impartial, trained person who can try and help you reach your own decisions, either about the money or about the children, and that's amazing. And it's obviously much, much more collaborative and constructive than going to court and fighting about it. So there's been a huge push to mediation, which is brilliant. Is that also to clear up the courts for things that are yeah. really big and really problematic? Yeah, I mean, the, the courts are completely overrun. Yeah. There are some stats which show that in London, couples can wait three years to get through aid. I mean, it's completely ridiculous and at breaking point. So there are lots of couples who are in court who don't need to be there and we need to help them navigate away from it. And so mediation is one of those routes. But there are lots of options for couples. And I think where we've gone wrong with the process before is that we've made people think either I mediate or I go to court. No. And that's not the case, actually. So quite often couples will want to mediate, but they'll have a fundamental disagreement about something like, I don't want the family home to be sold versus I think the family home needs to be sold. Now, a mediator can't give you a legal answer on that. That's not their role. So getting some legal advice, ideally together, before you go into mediation can be great. Because if the answer is, well, the court would definitely sell the property because that's the only way to meet your needs, then better to know that <laughs> than spend six months not agreeing in mediation and think your only other option is court. Yeah, absolutely. Samantha, we end the podcast with you completing three sentences. 
The first Ooh, one. Okay. <laughs> Good oh. luck. God, you see the bit. Every time, every time I introduce it, people are like, oh my gosh. Uh, they're very simple. Being a parent means. I think I read this somewhere, so it's really not me. But when I read it, I thought, gosh, this sums up how I feel. Taking your heart out and putting it in somebody else. <sighs> it is, isn't it? It's that thing of you're only happy as your unhappiest child. Yeah. You know, it's this extraordinary thing that happens to you when you have a child. And it never stops. It can be the most <laughs> soul-destroying thing you do on a daily basis. <laughs> and the monotony of parenthood, my God. But yeah, it is. It's they just toddle off with your heart. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. If I could tell you one thing, it would be... Divorce isn't intrinsically a bad thing. Don't let stigma overwhelm everything you know about divorce. I mean, I have to say something divorce-connected, don't no, I? No, I like that's that. That's the thing. I mean, just kill the stigma. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, ultimately that stigma comes with so much and it's mm. it all boils down to you, that person and your family. Yeah. Finally, I'm happy when... You just won a really big case, and you've been a, been a what? No, <laughs> I'm joking. never. I'm joking. Okay, I'm joking. So I'm torn between. <laughs> Should I tell you I'm torn between? I'm yes. torn between walking the dogs, Aww. or curled up on the sofa with the kids in a glass of wine, watching Strictly. <laughs> oh, both lovely images. You can have both. It's absolutely fine. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. That was such a, an insightful conversation. Um, and I know, you know, divorce is something that no couple want to be heading into, but to be able to have these conversations where people can do so in an amicable way will only strengthen those relationships going forward. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me and thanks for having the conversation because, you know, the more that we talk about these things and normalise them, the more we are breaking down the stigma. So thank you. 